0: stop this thing uh, oh you press uh, record again ah oh, there you go. Was the beginning of 1960 What? by Gregory Porter. And you've got the Living Writers Show on WCBN, FM, Ann Arbor. It's 88.3 here in Ann Arbor, um, streaming live everywhere in the world. Um, I'm Amanda Yuli, your host of Living Writers, and I'm here in the studio in Ann Arbor with our guest this week, Anita Jackson.
1: Oh, Black is
0: out there. Hey! Hi. <laughs> How's it going, Anita?
1: Surprise, surprise. I'm trying to Facebook and put the 1960 oh, okay. What? on. <laughs> I am in the studio, University of Michigan studio. Yes. Welcome. Thank you. We're glad you're here.
0: Um, so, I'm going to read for those of you who are not as familiar with Oneda and her work, I'm going to read a little formal bio of her that appeared in her last book that was just published recently, published in 2016. Yes?
1: What year is this? No, this came out in March This
0: year, this year, 2017 Here is a little bit more about Onita Jackson She's a satirist who has an English degree from Howard University The Dayton, Ohio native spent her summers in Washington Heights, New York City And she's lived in Washington, D.C. in Albany, New York She does not live there now, she lives in Detroit, Michigan Um, Jackson used to make observations as a yellow cab driver and as a newspaper copy editor Her latest adventure is working as a hostess at Antietam Restaurant She lives in Detroit and she's a member of the Sonora Missionary Baptist Church. Hi, Onita. What did I miss? Hi, Amanda.
1: Is you that... missed everything in the first book. Oh, everything. In the f- well, tell me, tell me a little more about who you are. So I was a newspaper copy editor at the Free Press for 11 years. Mm-hmm. And during that time, I used to go into work and always ask these questions like, what the heck is going on out here? And that actually led to, my observations led to a blog that became a newspaper column, O Street. A so popular people, newspaper column, if popular, I might say. Well, if I might say, columnist of the year 2008, yes. Uh-huh. Uh, what's interesting right now is I work at Great Ghost Restaurant now. When this book was published, I did work at Antietam. Still a mm-hmm. great restaurant in Detroit. I'm at Great Ghost now and still making observations. And, and still writing. It's still writing, yes. So the column received a 2008 Columnist of the Year Award. I stopped writing and started driving a cab a few late, let's see, I stopped writing and then stopped working for the Free Press two years later, Yeah, which was five years ago. So, and that's during that time, I've written two books, Nappy Headed Negro Syndrome, which is about identity, judgment and assumptions. And... Letters from Mrs. Grundy, and both of them are hilarious, if Dave Eggers <laughs> does say so himself. And he does. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and he does. So writing, Onida, is, has been a big part of your life, certainly in the last few years, and it was part of your life at the Free Press, but it's not your only calling, and it's not the only work you've done. Um, tell me how writing fits into your other work and how you manage to do it. A lot of writers have a hard time with that. What other Mixing work? You mean balancing. like my job?
1: Your job, and when need you some fellowships and 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 scholarships and whatever grants, and <laughs> so I can write because I can't keep this stuff. It's too much stuff in my head. How do I do it? Is that what you're asking? Yeah. How, how do, do I you do it? I, I don't do it. Apparently, <laughs> I don't do it. But wait, we're looking at a book you published this year. And you a book see you how tiny a it is. Yeah. <laughs> just people. Just so you all understand, you can read Nappy Headed Negro Syndrome in 25 minutes. But you know what you'll do? You'll put it down and you'll pick, and pick it back it, up again seven minutes later. So c- certainly because it's a there's good so hour's many worth of reading, right? But there are layers. People tell me one of my friends in Washington is like, "I pick this book up and see something different every time." Like yeah, it's all in there. The other book is small too, but the process is—I don't have a process. You know, some people. They get up. They write. They're disciplined. I have no discipline. So I don't even know how I'm able to put out two books.
0: That's what I'm asking. Like, how do you fit it? How do you fit in? Were you writing when you were driving a cab?
1: You know what? Here, So when we talk about process, my process is I hold everything in, t- in my head until I'm ready to sit down. And I do write long form. When I have enough of what I need to say figured out long for- form, then I will Type. But the problem is I walked to Belle Isle. So I live directly across the street from Craftwork in mm-hmm. West Village. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is close to Belle Isle. So when I left the free press and started driving a cab, I missed walking. Walking is really, that's my process, getting everything yeah. out of my head. So I walk over the Bell Isle bridge, work things out in my head, and then I was fine. Wait, so- set the scene for me? You have a notebook with you? You're like writing? Your no, thoughts? no, You're no. Just I'm talking to myself. Yeah. I'm talking to myself, thinking about stuff, and it depends on how much stuff I have to work out in my head. The distance I go into the island, like when it's really junked up and clogged up in my Mm -hmm. head, I go further into the island. Right, really deep. So sometimes it might be three or four hours, but when I'm on my world record pace, it's about 42 minutes. I can walk over the bridge and back 42 minutes and I'm good. So I haven't done that. I don't. I'll tell you what the process is. The process is no process. You see this, right? I'm looking at Anita's notebook right now. It She's has, looking um, at my Shinola notebook. There's a lot happening. There's a notebook. lot happening. I mean, there's the notebook and there's the stuff that's stuffed in the notebook. So these are don't, notes. Don't disorder all those notes. On oh my no, 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 no. Okay. Listen, I know she what's in here. She just dumped her here. notebook out. I dump my notebook out and I'm picking up neatly and placing all this junk okay. back in it. So. If there is a process, it's me. the instant inspiration strikes is I need a pen, whatever it is, as you see mm-hmm. i I just write and I write about things that strike me. So I'm a satirist and I write nonfiction. A funny story is a university press editor told me that she wanted to read more of my fiction because these stories in nappy-headed Negro syndrome. <laughs> That's not fiction, right? Right. I tell people, <laughs> you don't have to make fecal matter up, okay? <laughs> you don't have to make it up. This is real. And I said... This is nonfiction. And she corrected herself like it was a Freudian slip. But no, lady. I I think she didn't believe that these things happen. For example, in Black People Knit, when I, the first sentence is, I said I was a knitter, but that's not what she heard. And you just let that save her. And how can anyone think that? Someone asked me this on another radio program, and I said, because knitters look like (laughs) me when they show us on the news, on the 6 o'clock news. I'm glad you knit. You still knit? Yes, I am still a knitter. Good.
0: <laughs> um, I would like to see your scarves. We were talking about this on the way here. Yes, they were yes. at the Ann Arbor Arts Center. Yes. yes, here you are now. Many
1: years ago, maybe 12 years um, ago.
0: So one of the things that I enjoy about the kind of connectivity between these two books, which I've read both of them, is I they kind so. of have... Of course I have. Um, for me, it uh, they both tell the reader how to behave, right? Like, do you do you agree with that? Like, there's Well, they're etiquette books, yes. I write
1: etiquette books. And they're, gosh, there's something... It's a nuanced reading. You have to be paying attention, right? <laughs> right. Mm-hmm.
0: But I think there's something really glorious and almost relieving for the reader to be like, the, I'm being told what to do, and it's just wonderful. It, like, it's a wonderful, satisfying part of your books is sort of knowing, like, how to how to behave from your books.
1: So, um, like, in epi Headed Negro Syndrome, then how? Where do you see that? I'm telling you how to behave, I know oh, you're the interviewer, wait, 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 wait. right?
0: Yeah, I'm the interviewer. <laughs> I, I, I have to, I have to look up, I'll, I'll look up an example and I'll tell you in a minute. Um, but my question for you was about behaving. I wonder if you think that we, uh, some of us forgot how to behave.
1: No, I know Did we, no, this isn't a thought. It's a knowledge. <laughs> okay. It's a fact. Then People then do me not that. know how to behave. Yesterday I was on the bus. I ride the dot bus. Again, that is I don't have enough notebook paper for writing public transportation in Detroit for the things I see in Detroit. So because I am um, I'm not the nicest little person in my when I'm walking around the streets. Right. And I see misbehavior last evening when I left my job, these ghetto blasters, these people. It's what's interesting about these people who ride around on their bikes Mm -hmm. is they have these stereos. Like subwoofer And it's blaring behind them And so last night I asked these guys, of course, they couldn't hear me, but these guys, is, I got off like 10 o'clock last night and walk into the bus stop and here come these guys playing this, you know, Parliament <laughs> Funkadelic, which I love, but I don't love it for 82 blocks. And <laughs> the guy was walking by and I said, do you take requests? He just shook his head. No, I know good and well he couldn't hear me. Then two blocks later, here's another gentleman and he had a contraption. It was a, a cooler that you would take to Belle Isle, yeah. a cooler, and it had carved out like a stereo and these speakers and he was blaring some more like seventy soul funk. And these people do this riding through the neighborhoods, like even in my neighborhood, like as if they have no home training. So in the mm-hmm. black community, black uh, cultural experience, there is home training, which I did not know many white people don't call it home training. I used to knit with these white ladies from Gross Point, Michigan. <laughs> they taught me how to knit. I'm the only black person there. And one day I was recounting a story and I said something about home training. And all of them were like, What's home training? Oh? And I said, you know, home training. And I was explaining it because it's a double negative. Usually one says he ain't got no, so it's <laughs> ain't got no. You know, one yeah. usually doesn't, home training. right? Yeah. Oh, this person has. It's usually, oh man, he ain't got no home training. It's a deficit. So,
0: it's not. Yet. Yes, yes. Usually referred to home as training. a deficit. Right, yes. right.
1: And they said, oh, you mean life skills? And I'm like, it's self-explanatory. Home training, training from home. Yeah. So. I think I don't know if grandmothers aren't going to church or children aren't spending time or aren't being taught properly. But these are 50, 60, 70 year olds. And just it's like everyone is lost in mind. And what's going on here? And occasionally it depends on how comfortable I am with a person or situation. I'll I'll bring it out or bring it up or say something silly. Like a gentleman was on the bus playing. He was playing something. And I asked him if he took requests because he was playing a sad, sad, sad song. There were all these black men on the bus, and they were grooving to the song. And I said, look, can you play some Teddy Pendergrass or something? And the whole bus fell out. <laughs> I'm like, you talk- something about his baby left him or something. I was on the floor. But these are the <laughs> things, you know, I'm compiling this material. Like, this is my Detroit life. You know, like, this American life on NPR, Yeah. this Detroit life. They say, you can't make it up. I maintain. You don't have to. Just walk with me one day. You don't have to make any of this stuff up.
0: No. And you don't. I don't. Right. Yeah. So do you uh, when you're writing your books, are you thinking about people that have or have not had home training? Is, is that part of it? Is that part of what you what you aim to do with your books is, is show people what's right?
1: No, there's no aim. The only aim is that I write about people. Excuse me. I write about things that strike me. So if I'm somewhere and there's 72 polka dots standing in the corner and there's a stripe, I want to know what is what's up with the stripe? That's, that's my standard for writing is things that strike, uh, that strike me. So it's never with any goal in mind, but just a curiosity that I have. What's going on over there? And when I was a newspaper columnist, for example, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this, what strikes me, one of my things, there's a controversy there was in Detroit recently about this graphics package that the bedrock companies put up dan gilbert's companies see detroit as we do yeah. and it was, it was controversial big. it was big it yeah. made the washington post and people are paying attention to it so i'm looking for my perspective i'm not necessarily looking for my perspective but i don't see excuse me my perspective so for the first time since i wrote o street at the free press i wrote an o street style column i missed this put it it's on facebook well, and the headline is see detroit see dan gilbert as onita sees him and i'm um, i use irony and uh to, to make my point but the real thing is people were posting photos and saying this is how we see Detroit and I'm like who cares how you see Detroit like the fact that Dan Gilbert's company put this package up does not negate doesn't invalidate your existence what was funny to me is when is this man ever challenged? Who challenges Dan Gilbert? So that is the role of an editor. I'm an editor. I was in the yeah. editor for 11 years, and it was so obvious to me. And I'm, like, and I'm looking like, who does not see that on his team somewhere, he should have the greatest editor his money can buy um, for hire? 313-556-4717, yeah. <laughs> Onita Jackson. Yes. And, and, and the thing is, These nuances of Detroit, and I think both of these books, Nappy-Headed Negro Syndrome and Letters from Mrs. Grundy, if you want to know what Detroit is really like, they're not books about Detroit. No. It's what Detroit is like. So in the first piece, you go to the chicken wing joint in the hood, and I say, you know, how much is a chicken wing? And the woman says... We don't take the EBT card. This is telling you what that Detroit was not is like a That was not a question. <laughs> and so there's so many layers. There's com- there are commentaries on service, obviously for Grundy, commentaries on subtle commentaries on race, but the biggest commentary is really on the media. These books are really about what people get or do not get from the media, because people ask me stupid questions all the time. And once again, it's like, well, people like me are on the six o'clock news. So race, class. Like the one where the gentleman asked me in nappy-headed Negro syndrome, how did I pay for my son's U of D Jesuit education? And when I asked him why he was asking me that question, he became offended. (laughs) But he had been saying stupid stuff to me the entire trip. So, all these layers, all these nuances, and and it's also the racial significance of communication. I had a friend who, and the books are well received, it's just general stuff, right? Anyone can relate to everything if you've been a customer, particularly with nappy headed, excuse me, with With letters letters. from Mrs. Grundy, right? But then I have a lot of friends, a lot of my white friends try to explain my truth to me. Or explain why something happened to me in the book the way that it did. And I don't like that. That's when I become, that's when I'm upset. Y'all don't need you to explain my truth to me. (laughs) The fact is, I was the only black person at this event. And the white woman did not make an assumption. She told me I was late for the event. And I don't know her. And then she told me she was waiting for the band to start. And I don't play in a band. So... (laughs) My friend's trying to tell me, well, maybe she thought this is the antithesis of thought. You're not thinking. What are you doing? And one of my friends in Maryland said, you didn't tell us, you know, used to write opinion columns. You don't tell us what you think about any of the situations, any of these satires in the book. I said, well, I named it nappy headed Negro syndrome. Come on. You tell us. Yeah. Right. I I, I feel like I got it. You got it. I feel like I came. Well, you know what people don't get is my hair is straight. And so they don't understand how I have the audacity, the audacity to write a book called Nappy Headed Negro Syndrome. So that's what's that's the, uh, the other irony. My mother has very curly hair. My mother has boing, boing, curly hair mm-hmm. down her back. And when I was growing up, like my chemically untreated hair is nappy, which is not a bad thing. But some people ascribe some type of pejorative to the word nappy. It's just a fact. Your hair is wavy. Your hair is curly. Your hair is straight. My hair is nappy. It doesn't make it bad or good. But once again, with the power of words, you know, the language we use that you assign the power to the words, I believe. Like, You've
0: done such a remarkable job of reclaiming that power for yourself
1: Well, You think others. so? I don't know. Do I I all uh... I know is it's a word, like ghetto. <laughs> we were having a conversation about the word ghetto yesterday and I just thought it was hilarious. I can't take it.
0: Well, this is a Living Writer Show on WCBN. I'm FM, alive! At Ann Arbor. Onita Jackson is alive. Amanda Eulie is alive, too. I'm your host for this afternoon. We're going to take a quick music break. Uh, when we get back from uh, the song, Onita will tell us why she chose it. It's going to be Richard Palmer and Every Kind of People. Let's hear it.
1: the fight to make ends meet
0: That was Richard Palmer with Every Kind of People. Robert. Uh, whoa, Robert. And I have Richard on my thing. Sorry. Uh, Onita Jackson's our guest uh, this afternoon. Hi, Onita. Hi, Amanda. <laughs> Why did you choose that
1: song? Every Kind of People. Because my life is Every Kind of People. And living in Detroit, is it's wild that there's this idea that there are only black people and white people in Detroit, when I go, I see East Indian people, I see, I work with a Native American, First Nation gentlemen, Mexicans, Hispanic people every day in Detroit. So it might be 83% African American, which is a statistic I'm quoting from Detroit Mayor Mike Duggan. But it takes every kind of skin color, if you will, every kind of class of people, every demographic, all of us together understanding who one another are. Is that correctly? Who we are. So it just, I chose that song because we all are in it together. You know, wherever, where if you live in Palmer Woods in Detroit, if you live in Ann Arbor, right, wherever you live, it behooves you to be aware of other individuals, of other cultures. And I just just don't understand how people can live in, like, these idiotic things that people say to me. It's like, if you look at your own family, you know I have in my family? In my family, I have PhDs. I have people with no degrees. I have people who are vegetarians. I have people who have had children out of wedlock. I have people who are married. I have people who didn't graduate when they were every supposed kind of to. People. That would be Onita Jackson. <laughs> I have I had my ch- son out of wedlock. So there, every kind of people in your own family. So how do you think, just by watching the news, that uh, there other people wouldn't enjoy the same thing you do? So peace, quiet, uh, a full joy. stomach, joy, yeah. love, laughter. Oh, I didn't Books. know. Oh, I didn't know black people. Well, you sound stupid. <laughs> um. You, We didn't get it around
0: to talking about why you chose the first song, 1960
1: What. Ooh, Lord. Okay. And Nin- we're on the subject of Detroit. Right. And we're
0: so, on the subject of the 1960s. Right.
1: The reason I chose Talk 1960, 1960 What is because I think the... What is it? Commemoration anniversary. and The anniversary of the 1967 thing called the Detroit Riot. It's hilarious to me. And I don't mean hilarious, funny, but... Everyone, just looking back to look forward, people are talking about what happened in 1967, but they're not talking about what happens in 2017. <laughs> like, it, w- as if we've really made some kind of progress when people are, don't have the ability or, or don't have the talent, don't have the skill set to have meaningful conversations about really these nuances of race that are buried in my books. They're not even buried. Someone I know... Uh, had a friend who came into the restaurant where I work, right? I was gone and she was gone. She happens to be a white woman. I'm a black woman. And the person who's reporting this is an East Indian individual. So the part, the bartender who happens to be my son's former classmate at U of D Jesuit, this bartender did not serve the person because the kitchen was closed. The white person, the customer who was upset, said to, mumbled rather, mumbled to the East Indian person that the bartender was a toothful expletive that begins with an, an N that we cannot say on this radio show. So here's my question. Why is that your response, white person, when you cannot get food when the bar closes? The bar, excuse me, the restaurant is closed. You cannot get food. Why is this your response? Whether he is or not, he was in a severe car accident. And so he is missing two teeth and he has fronts. So why is that your response? Okay, let me tell you about some other responses in Detroit. One time... um There were like these Tigers fans. These Tigers fans were crossing the street in droves on opening day, Mm -hmm. but cab drivers, which I was a cab driver at the time, cab drivers, we received tickets. So you have the city of Detroit ticketing cab drivers who are trying to do a job. And not ticketing the people who are jaywalking in droves, who are making it impossible, who are are making it impossible for me to do my job, Mm -hmm. right? So you know, I yelled out the window, "Be careful!" And this man, who happens to be a white man, yelled. I mean, it was from the gut. It was so (laughs) yelled at me. F, that four-letter expletive mm-hmm. word that begins we're with We're not going to say right, it, but we know what it and is. And then me, Y-O-U, yes. comma, and then the word that the is a female dog. Right. Oh, okay. No. That word. So yeah. that was his response. And I find it interesting. People come into the city of Detroit and do things they would not do in their own homes, but we're the ones with the problem. So it's 1960, it's- what? I got 2017 all day. <laughs> What uh, what's
0: changed in Detroit since
1: 1967? And what's I name? wasn't born in 1967. I was born a year later, and I'm not and from not, Detroit. And you, you weren't born so in Detroit. I wasn't born in Detroit, and all I know is people who want to purport to have some kind of forward looking conversations need to get real. Uh, this book, it, it, I don't it, like this whole. Let's talk about race. No one says that. You can't. That's stupid. Oh, we're going to talk about race today. We're going to talk about. No, you just have a conversation. I've heard radio commentators say it's so hard to have this. Con- it's not. Read the book. Talk about the stories. And I think the other thing is your people book is, are the book afraid. Nappy Headed Negro Syndrome. Pardon? I wanted to say the name of your book again for us. Yes. Nappy Headed Negro Syndrome. 13 satires about identity, judgment, and assumptions. One of the funniest ones is. Will you read for us? Actually, this is a great time not to interrupt you. All right. Well, which one do you want me to read?
0: I want you to read your favorite one. I don't know.
1: Oh, well, that would kind of be the MF with the shoes. So I don't want to read might, that one. Yeah, I don't want to read you know what? one. I'm going to read the one where the white woman thinks I am the talent. Yes, I will read that. How about that? That's good. This is Guest Who. The Scene. Anna Wintour would have been pleased. I certainly was. I looked like I stepped off the cover of Vogue magazine and was staring at myself a little too long. This self-adulation was interrupted by a woman who had spilled something on her dress. She looked like she belonged on the cover of a Walmart circular and should have taken more care. We were in the powder room at a little club in Gross Point. It was so exclusive that the only people who looked like me were wearing black and white service attire and were parking cars, serving food, and clearing tables. I helped the woman in distress get herself together, and that is when things became interesting. Event, annual black tie dinner for a private Detroit club. Access, I am the date of a gentleman from Chicago. Me, Dupiani silk gown, chocolate A-line, velvet tessellated overlay, silk halter, chocolate cow neck with ruching at the back zipper. Stuart Weitzman cowboy boots, chocolate leather front, black pony hair back, chocolate leather lacing at calf, chocolate Bottega Veneta Trecchio sunglass case, handbag, short, chic haircut. Her, rayon polyamide tank top, black, nondescript ankle length skirt, black, square, low heel pumps, black, blunt, blonde bob. Transaction, we've been waiting for you. Furrowed brow. I don't know this woman. Wait, I'm Anita Jackson. My reputation precedes me. But wait, I don't know this woman. You've been waiting for me? Wait, she must know my date. He's from Chicago. And his reputation precedes him, but I don't know this white woman. Yes, we've been waiting for you. Can't be waiting for me because I don't even know you, lady. You've been waiting for me? I say, pointing to myself. Yes, we've been waiting for the band to start. Is there a band? Get Clue here. Are you with the band? Miss Clue there. No, I'm a guest. Apparently, I was late. I don't even look like Thornetta Davis.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Onita's cracking up. A, a sort of silent laugh has erupted in the WCBN FM studio. Onita, when you... um. When you take a minute to write um, about an encounter like that, do you do it like you get home that night and you like write it down and you've got the details about her short Bob and your outfit was sumptuously described. Thank you for that. Um, Do you do it right away or is that something that sort of rolls around in your mind and you think about it and you ponder it and you write about it next year?
1: Well, what what happens is when I can get it out. So I live in chaos and order. My living room is immaculately organized, all my books here, and these books over here, and, you know, etiquette books over here, Shakespeare over here. So it's organized. But then my office is a mess. So it depends on what's in my apartment and what's going on. If it strikes me, it's there. I've captured it. So usually it'll be, girl, guess what happened to me? Girl, I was... (laughs) So that's what it is. But I'll make a note of it if I think that humanity can be improved, really, I write to save humanity. I mean that in my heart. If there's no value, I think that can come from it. It's just a story. But if I think that there can be some value to humanity, will someone read this and consider, have I been that person? Will it there be a discussion? Because I have a friend, another friend in Maryland, and she was like, well, it's not going to change anything. If you know that this is how people are. And I'm like, look, whatever your art, whatever your gift is, do it. Leave me alone. I'm going to cont- continue to write that people might challenge themselves, that people might look at a situation to see if whether it's unfair or not, because I don't understand. I don't understand if I don't pay an instrument, how you are telling me I'm late. Make that make sense <laughs> for me, please. And so the test, if you will, the litmus test with this book, with every piece is tell me why you thought this. So with the first yeah, piece assumptions, mm-hmm, the yeah. first piece with tell me why you told me you don't take the EBT card and see the person if they're honest or they're not usually going to say well I thought you know you once again that's the ant- antithesis of thought so this gentleman the MF with the shoes the second piece when I asked the gentleman so I'm the fair I'm 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 driving this gentleman to the airport he had lovely shoes on and I simply asked him what shoes he was wearing and he told me they were very expensive. So I couldn't... Oh, that wasn't the... No so, no, so this one... The other thing is with the craft of writing. I have an English degree and I studied poetry under the baddest professor, the baddest poetry professor in the country. That's John, J-O-N, Woodson, who just released a book about Ralph Ellison. So Dr. Woodson... Uh, I, what, what about Dr. Woodson? Oh, Dr. Woodson taught me poetry and then my, my editor, Alex Cruden. So I still have a standard... Okay, so there's that one thing. Okay, this strikes me, but there's still the craft of my beautiful writing. How, do you, how does it
0: come out, right? That's it, the, well, the thing that's is, the so
1: for example, this MF with the shoes, it took forever. I couldn't get it right because just telling the story didn't have the, it didn't have, what word do I want? It didn't have enough bite. It wasn't caustic enough to move the reader. So it took me a while. I told the story. I told the story. I told the story. Finally, I got the sentence. So what happens with my writing in general? I need the first sentence. So I'm writing first sentences in my head. And I've done in a your great... box? Yes. I've done a great first sentences lecture. When I get the first sentence, then it's over. I have yeah. the beginning and the end. There so with is. this first sentence, which I think is beautiful, I'll read the whole piece. May I? You may. Okay, this is the, the MF with the shoes. And the, this whole first sentence, all 90,000 words of it, is me calling this man an MF because I just couldn't figure out how to do it and make the point, right? The question, this is page 18 if you have the book. The question was merely of onomastics, yet the prescient one deigned to answer, communicating to me in so, so certain terms that I was not now in a position to ask about, nor had I been invited to make observations of such esoteric matter. It was his shoes. Very nice shoes. What kind were they? 100% certified Cala pigeon stamp here. <laughs> Very expensive. Very expensive shoes. Shoes so expensive. Have no name. Name drop. Gucci Ferragamo. Yves Saint Laurent shoes so expensive. My mirrored closet. Oh, then you can afford these, ladies and gentlemen. We have arrived. Detroit cab driver with Washington, D.C. big shot. Shoe name get. I forgot airport please and so that had all the anger I was trying to express when I told it that way because the idea if you pay attention to the words it says we're not now in a position so I'm in an inferior position as his driver you understand but we achieved parity once he found out I have the same kind of shoes you do
0: yeah yeah you, When you're writing these books, I know you're writing for for everyone, for every kind of people. I'm not.
1: My audience is me. I don't write for everyone. (laughs) I sit down. When I think it's cool, Uh I'm done. That's the only audience I write for is me. But you're speaking to, in the way I read it, Mm -hmm. I think you're speaking to
0: white people. You're speaking to the people that make assumptions that you're the band, or you're speaking to the guy with the shoes, and you're speaking to those people. But I feel like you're also speaking um, to the other side of those interactions. Do you feel like you're, you're, you're what do not- you mean?
1: So look, there are two pieces. I mean, this isn't just white people. I mean, these are black people transgressions, but it really, I'm sure. speaking to the media, you know, stop doing what you do, address them, uh, 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 you know, pay attention to other stuff because a lot of these assumptions people have is not because they interact daily with different types of people. It's because they watch television, you know, they read the newspapers <laughs> that I used to work at. I mean, yeah. this is how people come to conclusions. You used to see these people. So, no, I'm not writing to white. I'm not writing. I'm writing to me that people receive it all over the country and yeah. the world. You know, I have a few books outside the United States that says to me, I'm just writing stories. I'm a storyteller. And there's this there's little black girl at the movie theater. You know, I asked her for two tickets to the movie. And she says, that's an Indian movie. Okay, well, just because (laughs) I didn't ask you for a movie review, I asked you to do your job. And see, there again is the commentary Mm -hmm. on service. So there's service and culture. So apparently all the people at the movie were East Indian, which I was taking my friends, Proga and Neha and Rahul, I was taking them to the movie. But I asked Paulette, I said, hey, I'm taking them to the movie. I don't want to drive back to Detroit in the snow, do you want to hang out with Program Nathan? Go see this movie. We didn't care what kind of movie it was—a movie. Yeah. So I dropped off my fare, my friends, and then Paulette and I parked. So when Paulette and I get there, you know, you got a question. We're a different kind of people, and I know. I just—the question was, may I have two tickets to this movie? And all she was supposed to say, "Thanks, enjoy your show." But no, she Here's has surprise. to be right. Tickets. She has to be. Uh, we what were they called? L- L- M- Leonard and those two Leonard guys with the M- thumbs. L- Ebert Sisco. <laughs> Siskel and he right. on you. Yeah. Right, so she had to go be a movie reviewer. And it's like, I didn't ask you for a movie review. But see, if she were doing her job, listening, right, then I wouldn't have got, I would have a story. So that's the cool thing. Uh, yeah. It's more material for me. All more, these situations, more, more material. Yes, more material for me. We've got the Living Writer Show
0: on WCBN, FM, Ann Arbor. We're going to take a short music break and hear Simply Irresistible. Um, short bit of that. And then we'll come back. Let's talk more customer service. Okay. You want to do that? When Certainly. We come back? Okay, mm-hmm. let's do that. Simply Irresistible, Robert Palmer Onita Jackson is in here She tells me she's dancing like no one's watching But I'm watching <laughs> And it's a living Writer show On WCBN-FM Ann Arbor We're here with Onita Jackson She's author of Nappy Headed Nigger Syndrome And Letters from Mrs. Grundy um, And we're going to talk about Customer service a little bit
1: No, we have to talk about why I chose the song remember? Okay, okay, talk about why we chose Simply Irresistible because of the word inscrutable. This man, smoking hot, Robert Palmer with these videos, and he has the word inscrutable. I think that's just genius. <laughs> I don't even, I I may have written that in a column maybe once, maybe. In, he's a living writer. He is, I think oh, he's he deceased. He's a deceased writer. He's a, he's the man. So All I right. chose that because he had inscrutable and I'm going to get inscrutable in, Are in you a piece of writing. I think so. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I think, Check. I, I mean, people done. might think I am, but I, I don't think I am. I it's think kinda, you're actually, I that. I'm simply, simply,
0: yes. You're simply authentically yourself, which is, I think one of the reasons why people love your books. Um, Thank you. And love your person. But this is what
1: I would hope people would be is themselves. I think yeah. a lot of the problems we have are because we care too much what other people think. And that's a theme too. Like I don't, in my life, I don't happen to care what you think. So, If my friend Paulette is listening, it is I don't allow what other people think of me, allow me to stop what I'm doing. Mercedes-Benz featured me in a profile recently. Mercedes-Benz, Mercedes-Benz. And they did a little tweet or Twitter or Instagram or something with a quote. And it says, don't let other people keep you for things. And then it has Onita Jackson. I'm like, Oh my goodness. Yes. That's you blurbed them. So yes. many people care what other people think and people are like, well, you care. I'm like, mm, yeah, no, you if care I care less than most people, if I, I know. care what people thought I would still be at the free press. Okay. I would never have driven a cab. Right. So, and pff, you don't even know what my mother thinks. So I'm just saying, I, what you think does not really matter to how I do what I'm doing. I'll tell you this, my friend, Alejandro, He was telling someone one day, you know what makes Onita so successful? She does what she wants to do. So I wonder if people in their own lives, how do you define success? I didn't know how to define success until Alejandro said that. But I think that's a cool definition, right? Yeah. That's a very cool definition. Alejandro is a wise guy. He's told me some of the most wise things in my life. Along with my parents.
0: And the happiest people in the world are the ones that follow their heart and that find that and do it. And they're themselves, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They're not and that's not always the people that have the most money or the biggest publishing contracts hey, or the biggest whatever, oh, but, right? You know, I Fanciest got Amanda job.
1: over here and Dave Eggers, <laughs> and uh, I'm on my way to a bigger bank account. Yes. Oh, you are on your way <laughs> everywhere. Oh Nietzsche.
0: Um, tell us about can you tell why you titled this second book, What You Did? Tell us about that and about um all your customer service
1: So tips. I hate when people say so. I'm working on it myself. Okay. I am. I am working on just the <sighs> breathe, the pause. Instead of saying, okay. "um," I used to say, you know, now there's, so, Amanda, so, so, so maybe I'll write a book called so, so, so. So the next one? So. So what are you writing? Well. <laughs> so tell us about it well comma i will tell you comma amanda this book mrs grundy do you want to you want to know the title or you want to know how i started writing Both. it the process Both. the process it wasn't a process. It was There was a problem. Something struck me, and I went home and wrote for a day. I went to a coffee shop I frequent, and the guy was rude to me. I told the owner. See, I can be linear. I told the owner. <laughs> I did not like the owner's response. It was a too long text message, and the owner defended the person, and I didn't like it, and I was livid. I was infuriated, incensed, ticked off. And I went home, and I wrote the shop owner a letter, a real letter on my nice, nice, nice stationery. Mm-hmm. It was pretty. And I have pretty handwriting and I didn't like the response and the rest. I just, be, I just thought I didn't mean to do it. That's the thing. I was just writing that one letter. But then I began to think about all these horrible customer service experiences I've had and I just started writing letters and it became more creative and the formula dear so-and-so your service was inferior, and I'm here to tell you why. That was a formula, but you can't say, dear Amanda, I didn't like what the book from a 826, signed <laughs> Onita. You can't do that every single letter. So I had to become creative, and that's how it came out. And my head was about to explode. I wrote this book in a day and a half, and then I added many more letters, maybe Mm -hmm. another 60 or 70 pieces once I thought I was finished because more customers back, customer service experiences. It doesn't, it doesn't. (laughs) And the thing about this is someone should be paying attention, which is what I do for a living, right? Someone should be paying attention. And I think part of this is people don't accept criticism well People are not honest with themselves. They don't receive feedback or criticism well, especially in 2017, to make things better. And I've worked in some environments recently where it's only to help you improve, right? And my ink pen is harsher than I am in public. I, I have a lot of patience, but then when I'm, I lose the patience, it's, it's not nice. So part of what informs this book is think about the sentiment in that movie, Five Easy Pieces with Jack Nicholson. Do you know that movie? Do you know I the do scene? Not, so, but tell us. In Five Easy Pieces, Jack which is from 1970. This movie is 47 years old. And Jack Nicholson is asking for what he wants at the restaurant. And what I've learned or found in Detroit and many other places, people can tell you how many ways to get to the center of the negative lollipop. All right. (laughs) They won't, they'll tell you, Oh, well, we can't do that. And I can't do this. And we shouldn't. And it's the negative language. There's even with positive things. Like I was reading some notes recently and everything was, don't do this. Can't do that. Don't do this. And it's like, find a way that's just negative. Right. So Jack Nicholson wants what he wants. And The waitress is telling him how many ways he can't get what he wants. And so he, you know, ends up shoving the food in her face. It's hilarious. That's a classic scene. And that's not good behavior either. But, you know. Well, every (laughs) now and then. Well, I went off on somebody yesterday, but yeah, yeah, I'll lose my grace. But the whole point is he had to tell. He finally tells her how he has to tell her how to think. Right. Mm -hmm. I'll have a chicken salad sandwich with. Whatever. And he he wanted some toast. And she said they don't have any toast. So he said, do you make sandwiches? Okay, look, I want a chicken salad sandwich. Hold the butter, hold the lettuce, hold the tomato, hold (laughs) the mayo, hold this. Now you haven't broken any rules. And then she gets upset because he's more a more creative thinker than she. And, and, And the whole thing is, look, give me what I want, especially if you're paying money. If you're paying money, the people should get what they want and I don't subscribe to the customers always right Okay, forget the customer it's not personal and I think too many people take things personally in service and the other thing is I've been in service most of my life I worked at a newspaper 11 years journalism was not my life most of my life has been in service some kind yeah. of service some kind of way Um and why is the book called letters from Mrs. Grundy it is called because I'm not a nice person <laughs> I'm not a nice person Mrs. Grundy I have a word-a-day calendar, and one of the words I learned, I love words. Yeah, Inscrutable. Me too. Inscrutable. It's, yeah. Right? Uh, what, what did I get in here? Did I, what, I got some good words in here, I think. Did I get pusillanimous in here? Oh, nasal detritus. There it is on page 107. <laughs> I got detritus in here. I mean, I write simply, but when I can get a good word, a good verb in, I use it. So in March, not in, but On March 26, 2001, and this word came up again a few few years later, the word, the page-a-day word was Mrs. Grundy, one marked by prudish conventionality and personal conduct. The sentence, Bob is a regular Mrs. Grundy, said Harriet, and you'll never have any fun if you waste too much time worrying about what he thinks is proper. And then the, the usage note on the back, what would Mrs. Grundy say? Dame Ashfield, a character in Thomas Morton's 1798 play, Speed the Plow, was forever asking that question and constantly worried about invoking the sneering condemnation of her prudish neighbor, Mrs. Grundy. Although that tyrant of social opinion, Onita Jackson, (laughs) never actually appeared on stage during the play, Mrs. Grundy's critical attitude or fear of it exerted a significant influence on the actions of other characters and untimely on our language. So the thing is, you know, in the beginning of this book, there's all this commentary for me. It's because I want people to understand how I grew up. My mother is like the black Mrs. Grundy from the South. Home training. Oh my goodness, the home training. training Yes, the home training thing, right? I mean, my grandmother was a black woman from Birmingham. It's like, those are women with impeccable manners. So I grew up being sensitive to manners i act like i don't have home training sometimes but i know i have 21 etiquette books on my bookshelf and my poor little son you know we were i think i tell the story in the book yes we were at breakfast one day and i corrected his 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 well i correct his grammar all the time he was doing something and i'm like jamie da, 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 you know do this and he's just like my, my son just pays me no attention mm-hmm. he's like mom Is there an etiquette for everything? And I took him by his elbow and I went over to the bookshelf because I'm stupid. And I read every name of every etiquette book, all 21 on the bookshelf. And I looked at him and I said, is that a real question? See, that's what I ask people when I think they're asking stupid questions. Is that a real question? Your
0: books, your etiquette books, if we can call them that, and I struggle. Sometimes they I are. They're a little bit memoir, a little bit nonfiction, a little bit instruction, but they're etiquette books. But here's what I like about them and what I have a hard time with about other etiquette books. Other ones really tell you what's proper and what's right. And when I read your books, I feel like I am learning about listening. And I think that really? that's what you're... Doing. You're telling people to listen. Is listen, it? pay attention, don't make oh. assumptions. So you're not saying there is a certain way to do a certain thing. Right, place um, your
1: knife this way. Well, saying, so I'm not preaching. Real. Well, be I'm real. not preachy. I'm sensitive to that. You know where I get a lot of that from? William Zinzer's book on writing well. There's a chapter in there. If you see my book, poor little book, once again, Alejandro told me to buy that book in 1999 or 95. But William Zinser talks about polished writing and uh, letting people come to conclusions on their own. So I try to show in my books. And when it's interesting to hear feedback on my books, I don't know Mm -hmm. I'm doing this stuff. I mean, I guess I am doing it. But to hear how people analyze the book is Mm -hmm. interesting. So, yes, I am saying that.
0: You're reminding us to listen.
1: Right. And be considerate and empathetic and care for one another.
0: Yeah. But the really nice thing about your books is it doesn't say be empathetic, care for one another. You show it mm-hmm. um, oh, in thank every you. way. Thank you. Um, we are nearing the end of our time. So I think we have to hear some Marvin Gaye for a moment. Does that sound like the right thing? Living Writer Show, WCBN FM, Ann Arbor. Let's hear what's going on. Hey, hey, hey. Hey. For,
1: brother, God. what's up? This is hey, a
0: big big party, man. brother, I can Right on. <laughs> to dig. Like right on. on <laughs> hey man, what's name? Mother, mother, there's too many of you to cry. Brother, 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 there's far too many of That was Marvin Gaye, and I'm Amanda Yuley with The Living Writer Show here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Our guest this week is Onita Jackson, um, who chose that song, and who is a writer and a living writer and many other things. Um, Onita, tell me about where writing kind of fits into your life. You've done other things in your professional life other than write, and I want to know, where is writing a stop-off along the way to something else for you?
1: No, big dummy. I just figured it out. Big dummy, me. I'm calling myself a big dummy. No, Onita, big dummy. Big <laughs> dummy. I used to refer to myself in the third person uh-huh. as a joke, as Onita big. Onita big mouth. But sometimes I would call myself Onita big M- dummy. My problem is, I, I can admit and acknowledge when I make mistakes in general. I don't know why I'm telling you that, but you're rare. But but, but well, good. I made a really huge. Uh, I did. I screwed. Can you? I I messed up badly last year. And the cool thing was when I, you know, got over myself and attempted to apologize to the person. She was gracious and just kind of like was like, okay, whatever. We're on to the next topic. And I've done that very thing in my life too. Right, forgive people, forgive people, and move on. So I want to talk about the song too. But you asked me, is it a stop? The big dummy part is I've been right running, rather from writing my entire life. So I just got a clue when I was 38 years old. You've been
0: running from it? How Mm -hmm. did you run from it?
1: Well, I'm an editor. See, that's the (laughs) thing. Focus on editing and you don't have to write. Yeah. Because all my life, I mean, I grew up in oratorical contests. I used to write my little fingers off when I was young. I wrote really (laughs) Uh well, but it's hard. I don't like to do it. So I would always make up this, I hate writing. No, I just, Oh, I hate writing. Oh, I hate writing. I I hate (laughs) writing. So editing someone else's work and making it beautiful was better and that's what I love to do so I have the skill set for both some schizo it's really mm-hmm. messed up in my head <laughs> you should see me edit a piece so no it's not a stop it, it 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 is my life writing is my life I have to write and when I don't write with like if you look at my apartment like when my boyfriend comes in my apartment and he if he he'll let oh what's going what's going on in your head you're writing serious (laughs) no i'm not writing i'm not writing that's when my apartment so and so i I don't function well so i'm not functioning well even though i function but right now i'm not doing too well but it's not a stop i'm going to do other things i always do other things because i have lots of skills and talents yes but i'm still i'm always going to write because i just i think everyone is stupid it's like that even me but everyone's stupid and there's always something material from that
0: yeah. Always. You're not going to run out of material. No. Real life stuff. So, with, with, you, with, um, go ahead. Well, I wanted to talk about um, the fact that you uh, came to Detroit in mm-hmm. your adulthood. Some t- I can't remember when you've told me, but um, tell me about um, coming to Detroit. And then, can you talk about how your books relate to the city? Like, I, I, I read your books and I wonder, is this a Detroit book? Is this an everywhere etiquette book? Well, you have to finish with an...
1: Marvin Gaye, what's going on. So, what... what... What about how I came to the city is a question. When did you come to the city? In two thousand one, I moved here from Washington D.C. to be a newspaper editor. And you're a Detroiter. I am a Detroiter. Oh, don't get me started on the word "from." See, this is what this nineteen sixty one your T-shirt oh, that you're wearing right now. But is the body a of what, from? But but the from is inspiring the one. Nineteen sixty what. This body of work I'm beginning is really about this word from when you ask people in Detroit where they're from. This is a difficult question for a lot of people it's to answer. Yes, it's fraught with uh, judgment, assumptions. Like I, When I ask people where they're from, OK, I'm from Madrid. I'm from Barcelona. I'm from the east side. I'm from Seven Mile. I'm from New York. I'm from St. Louis. I'm from Sao Paulo. Um, well, I well, we're from here. So so this happened the other day. That's the beginning of this 1960 what? We're from here. I'm like, where's here? Well, you know, we're from here. I'm like, we're from the suburbs. Grosse Point, Farmington, Gross Eel, Bloomfield there are, are a lot of suburbs a- because of this 1967 stuff and this yeah. white flight. So people might have been born in Detroit but how to answer that question is 27- in 2017 is interesting. I'm telling you man, I have fun playing with people asking them that question. The, the discomfort remains oh, around there's that. So much Detroit. discomfort and this this writing I'm doing, you could just tell well, it, it's Detroit-centric, but it's really about just life and humanity. These stories, everyone can relate to this customer service, but they're, once again, all those layers. So what you tell people about the books is they're books written by a woman, a bit, written by a Detroiter. And I always tell people, if you want to know what Detroit is like, read my books. Because there's a lot of paying attention in these books that people don't necessarily get. And remember, I'm writing from the perspective as a former newspaper columnist, a former newspaper editor, a person who rides the bus, a person who used to drive a cab, a person who used to take a cab to the free press. So a person who was born in Dayton, Ohio, spent her summers in New York City, moved here from Washington, D.C., my family's from Alabama. So there's so many perspectives. Person who's worked in customer service. I've worked in customer <laughs> service. Uh-huh. I've worked on Wall Street, right? I've, what, swept floors before. I've done a lot of stuff. So it's just not one perspective I'm offering. I think it's a human perspective, right? I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, Onita,
0: tell us um, quickly, because we only have a couple minutes. Us, oh, I'm an editor. I can be so to, quick. Okay,
1: edit yourself and tell us what you're writing right now. And what you're reading right now I'm writing nineteen sixty what I don't know what types some are poems, some are stories, some are one sentence commentaries it's about about from. the the well the preposterous idea that we have overcome so much, we have made so much progress when people are unafraid to acknowledge this i won't even say dual existence, but when people are unafraid when people are afraid to not when people are afraid to acknowledge other people's truths there we are
0: I can't wait to read it what are you reading right now
1: I just finished reading choosing civility and I have I read a lot of, I'm a newspaper chick so I read a lot of newspapers so I just my friends just brought me back from New York yesterday the New York Times the Wall Street Journal uh, a Long Island newspaper and the book I'm reading I'm reading two books Within the Veil, about black journalists in the white media. And I'm rereading Thomas Sugru's Origins of the Urban Crisis. And these, if anyone has an opinion on Detroit, start with that book. Say the title again. Origins of the, or, of the Urban Crisis by Thomas Sugru. S-U-G-R-U-E. He might have umlauts over <laughs> the U, but Noted. it's Sugru.
0: And Onita Jackson, will you say the titles of your books again?
1: Nappy-headed Negro syndrome, and letters from Mrs. Grundy.
0: Thank you. And we're off to Literati Bookstore to hear you read seven p.m. tonight downtown Ann Arbor. Thanks for joining us, Onita. We're going to close out the hour with the Beatles, which you also chose.
1: In My Life.
0: Yes. Thanks for joining us on Living Writers today, Onita. Thank you. You're
1: welcome. That's that's the appropriate response. You're welcome. a Saludos. We are Rosie and Brian Amador from Sol y Canto. Está sintonizado al
0: 88.3 WCBN-FM en Ann Arbor. You're listening to
1: WCBN-FM, Ann Arbor, 88.3.